Hello and welcome to another episode of the Citizens of Lorcana podcast, a podcast where we invite you to be a part of their world. We're your hosts, Jared and James, and today we're talking about TCG lingo for the new players. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Hey everyone, welcome, welcome to another week. Last pod, we had an incredible conversation with Sugi from the Lorcana cast about leveling up your skills as a TCG player. And this week we are discussing TCG lingo for new players like James and I. That's right. So if you think you know what it means to bounce or tutor, you might be in for a surprise. And if you have never heard of cantrip or top deck, we've got you covered. <laughs> Both of these words. I Cantrip is still one that gets me. Yeah, I, yeah. It must be named after a magic card, but we'll cover that in a bit. So every job, every organization, and every hobby has its own lingo. And until you learn the lingo, uh, you can really start to feel like an outsider. And Lorcana will be no different. There will be lingo-specific words to Lorcana. We've already seen it with words like exert and lore um, and other words that we don't even know yet. But what we do know are words and lingo that seem to be universal to TCG playing experiences. Thanks mostly to Magic, Pokemon, and Yu-Gi-Oh! that have been around for 20 to 30 years. Uh, so I have to ask you this, James. Have you ever been in the Discord and seen someone use a piece of TCG lingo that you had never heard of before? Uh, well, being new to TCGs, uh, yes. Uh, basically, as soon as I started hanging out in the Discord, it's like... Every single initialed word was something I'm like, what's that again? Like ETB and EDH and, uh, you know, mill. And I mean, I obviously knew what the words were because, I mean, aggro is like, well, I can understand that that's aggressive. So I can think it through in some cases, but in the TCG world, it's a very specific kind of thing. I remember first got into the discord somebody was talking about the cards and they were breaking it down and they were like the pt of maleficent is uh, a really high and i was like what's pt <laughs> they're like oh power toughness i forget not everybody's into magic and that's when i realized that i would have to learn the lingo in order to understand everybody because i don't want to be that guy who's always asking people what does that mean yeah and luckily it's not like a massive vocabulary you're going to have to learn there's there's some that you're going to have to learn and and uh, like i said a lot of it uh is going to be kind of context uh kind of in context so uh but it's the abbreviations and things like that and then a few words where they kind of mean something different than what you'd expect that are going to be ones you'll have to learn um but of course uh you know if you're a veteran uh this is probably going to be maybe a little boring because <laughs> we're going to talk about all the words you already know the vet definitions to. So you can just skip to the end where we talk about news. Uh, but uh, we hope that you will uh, maybe send this to some friends who are just getting into the hobby. Or if you're new, would you stick around and listen to us talk about uh, all of the words about TCGs? And uh, you can refer back to this. Uh, if you're catching this months from now, you can always just send it to someone uh, who like you, who's joining us for the first time and, uh, and go from there. Yeah. I almost think that this podcast is as much for you and I as for other people. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, okay. So uh, first we're going to talk about the different types of play, like the different ways you can play your deck. You already heard James talk about aggro. So there are many ways we could do an episode like this, but uh, I just want to share a word, a play style, define it, and discuss it. So let's start from the top with player types, and I'll lead with aggro. Aggro is the lazy man's way of saying aggressive, as James already said. This is a deck type that wants to hit first, and it wants to hit hard and fast. Usually these types of decks want to win by turns two to four, at least in the games that I played. As the deck has a difficult time standing up to another player's mid to late game. Right. So aggro likes to win quickly and basically just like hit it, hit it and go. But on the flip side of that is the control deck. So if you hear someone talking about how they play control, 
that means control decks are playing the long game. They're, uh, they like wipe resources off the board, deny you things that you want to do. Um, and basically they just make you unable to play your game and make you run out of steam uh, while they build up to dealing that final blow. Yeah, and if you remember both of our guests, uh, besides Sean, Mark Wooden, and Sugi, they both said that they enjoy playing control. And when I would play a control player in the My Hero Academia card game, it was the worst. Like, you would have a specific player that you played with, and as soon as that player hit the field, I was like, I, I didn't even want to play but I realize now that, I don't know, it's part of the game, so I'm just going to have to learn to deal with it. Yes. So uh, definitely my least favorite to play against. They're super frustrating. But if we have a short uh, version of a deck type in aggro and a long game deck type, you are safe to assume that there's also a mid-range deck. These ones are a little harder to define, but these decks will be able to hold off aggro decks um, they'll be able to stave off the quick attacks at the beginning, but they have a hard time competing against control decks. So they're really looking try to try to win between turns five to eight. Again, this is just in the games that I've played. Right. It's basically the, the mid percentage range of turns. So if a turn, if a game's going to take 30 turns, they're trying to win around the 15 or 20 mark. Uh, so, um, next up. We are going to, so did we talk about, are we going to talk about uh, the one I mentioned earlier also, mill? So mill is a term that we'll define later, okay. but if you want to talk about it now, no, feel cool. free. Nah, I, I'll, we'll talk about it when it's in there. Um, so up next, we're going to talk about types of deck construction. Uh, and this is basically how you're going to put your deck together once you've figured out your play style. And there are three terms which are used to describe deck construction, and that is pre-con, net deck, and homebrew, or just brew. Uh, when you're deciding on a deck to play, you can use a pre-con or a pre-constructed deck. This is the type of deck uh, that uh, you will pull out of a box like a starter deck and pretty much just play it as is. And we've already seen this with Lorcana. You have the three starter decks. You have the Simba, Aurora, the Mickey... Cruella, yes, and Maleficent, and Moana, right? I think that's correct. <laughs> well, without looking <laughs> so at them, it's like you got to remember. We'll have those pre-con decks. And that deck is a deck that you build based off of a deck list that you found online. So a lot of times that could be from a influencer that you see on YouTube that you really like. Or a lot of cases when I was playing my hero, um, after every major tournament, they would post the deck list of the top eight or top 16, depending on how many people played. And I would just like go on there, grab their deck list. I usually didn't know any better, but occasionally I would change it out. But usually I just, uh, I constructed the deck as is. Yeah. Uh, and, um, uh, when, I, when I'm playing Marvel Snap, if I get a new card that I know is like a key card for a type of deck, like a discard deck or something, I'll go on to one on, you know, I'll Google search Marvel Snap discard and just look up or the character's name like Hella and I'll find decks and see which ones, you know, have some of the cards I have or if I have all the right cards to make it work. And then I'll try and build a deck and then I'll kind of like tweak it a little bit if I feel like I don't want to use a specific card or want to play with it a little bit. But it's, it's always a good way for me to build a deck uh, that is like constructed based on someone who's, as they say, done the math or played it out to see what it would do and figured out the the key uh, combinations and things like that. Well, I know a lot of people look down on it, but these are decks that have gone the distance. You know, they've, they've won the tournament and it's, and it's not your own deck. But if you play it like Sugi was talking about last week, eventually you will own that deck, even though you didn't make it. So... The opposite is what's called a homebrew deck. And this is a deck that you build on your own. And when we were talking to Mark, that's the type of deck that he liked to build. He uh, would create his own deck and then he'd go to tournaments and people just know how to deal with it because 
it's not a typical meta deck. Right. Which is which is a fun way if you if you can pull certain combinations out and figure out certain things that you want to do or how you like to play, then obviously building it yourself as long as you've studied the cards which is, again, something else that Sugi mentioned is making sure you know the cards and you know the game you're playing, uh, then that's really a good way to do it to kind of just go off meta, but also have something that fits your style and maybe you can play really well. Yeah, I'm just not that clever. <laughs> maybe I will be with Florcana. Maybe. And I mean, I mean you're certainly going to pay a lot more attention to uh, everything about the game. So... I think that's another thing. I think that's for for sure something that Sugi pointed out is just knowing the cards and knowing what's going on is going to be a real huge help in building a deck. Um, Even like right now, I will go through mentally and be like, these are all the cards that are in Amber. These are the effects that they have. This is how much it costs. Like I'm trying to get those cards into my memory so that way I can make those connections yeah, but I mean, 200 cards though, 204 cards, that's going to be, that's a lot of brain space. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's easy when there's only 15. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So let's, uh, let's move on to just general TCG terms. And we're going to jump into some lingo that may not fit into a specific category, but you will definitely hear it uh, when you're in TCG spaces. Uh, and, uh, and I'm going to start with uh, answer. And this is a pretty straightforward concept in that it describes that you are holding or drew a card that is the answer to your opponent's board state. Yeah, pretty straightforward. Yeah. <laughs> Which it's weird to say, you know, when when you when I was when I was reading that sentence, it's like start with answer. It's like that is that correct English? <laughs> but it's, it's we're describing the actual TCG term answer. Yeah, it's like. Oh, you have such and such on your board, and I just drew the answer to that. Could be dragon fire to banish the opponent's character. See, it's 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 like you know, they're pretty straightforward terms. TCG terms. I mean, they're pretty straightforward. You know, once you you know, if you didn't connect at first, you're like, oh, that's why. Of course, duh. You know, they they connect to things. So you used another word in that. That word was board state. So the board state is. Well, it's the state of your board. Uh, which characters or creatures are in your board of play? What items are in effect? Do you have a magic mirror out? What are the challenges you are presenting to your opponent? And conversely, what are the challenges that they're presenting to you? It also includes things like who's winning, what the resource totals are for each player. It's just the totality of the game state as it is. Right. So what's in play? Uh, things that are going on, uh, the field of play. Another way to say it is the field of play, what's going on in the field of play. So people may think they may hear board and they think board game and they may think you have to have something out that you're playing on. And you, of course, some have play mats, but you don't have to have a play mat. So it's just the general area of where the game is happening, you know, in, in between you and your opponent. So the Perfect. next step we have, uh, the next word is body. And when a player refers to a body, they're referring to the power and or toughness or the combination of that of the cards, uh, the character or creature. Uh, for Lokana, it will likely be re represented by those two icons in the uh, lower middle right of the card that look like a little shield and a little sunburst. Yep, that's what we're assuming, but it, it makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense when there's a shield and a sunburst that looks like a, maybe a little mini explosion. <laughs> kind of seems like it's defense and offense. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. So the next word we're going to define is bounce. Uh, when you hear a player say that they're going to bounce your card, that means that a card of yours will return from your board to your hand or vice versa. For example, when Cruella is banished on her card text, it says the card says when the card is banished, you may return a chosen character to their player's hand. So that is an example of card being bounced from your board back into the player's hand. And it doesn't specify you could bounce your own character, but usually you'll bounce an opposing characters. And that way they have to repay the, the resource cost to play that card again. 
Right. And if you bounce the right card, that really messes with their gameplay and their strategy and doesn't, and they have to reset to enact whatever combo or whatever they're trying to do. So it is definitely a good way of delaying them, you know, taking whatever, uh, whatever they wanted to do and delaying it at least one or two turns. Uh, I was just going to say the other thing I watched a video by Scotland Thompson, who's awesome, but he was saying you could use uh, Cruella since damage is persistent. You could use Cruella. Say your Maleficent dragon has like four damage on her. You could use Cruella to bounce Maleficent back to your hand and put her back down and use the dragon fire and have a completely healthy Maleficent again. So that's a, another example where you would bounce your own character. Yes. And that's leading right into the, again, the initial commentary from Ryan Miller and the designers that this is a simple to learn game with hopefully a lot of complexities in the cards and a lot of things that you can do just based on what keywords are there, the the play style, the, the combos that you can do. It's like, you know, you would... I mean, initially you would never think of like, if you're just like a straightforward player of like, I'm going to put my stuff out and I'm going to try and win and I'm going to just keep attacking or, or banishing or whatever, you know, those kind of things you have to step back for a second and think, well, yeah, that's a good idea. I mean, defense, sometimes you have to play around, you know, out of the box in order to get things done. And I think that's one of the things where when they're building the game, they like to build into the game. Yeah. Uh, so the next word I was not familiar with, at all uh and that is can't can't trip it's like i keep thinking it's catnip <laughs> i know it looks just like it <laughs> uh but but anyway this is a card which lets you draw an extra card from your deck and often has an extra effect to go along with it so can't trip yeah so when i was looking this up like there are cards that allow you to do card draw like magic mirror but specifically, when I was looking at Cantrip, it was saying that not only could you draw a card, but like if Magic Mirror was exert, draw a card, and then there's another effect that said restore to health, that would be an example. Gotcha. Um, that's what I got out of it anyway. So this next word is fairly obvious, but when you you will eventually hear players talking about how much they love to crack packs. In this case, cracking means they're opening packs. Pretty I simple. Yeah, I too love to crack packs. Uh, <laughs> who doesn't? I mean, it's like it's like opening a Christmas present. Like every single one, you get a box of twenty-four packs. It's twenty-four Christmas presents. Well, there's unlimited potential in there. For all you know, when you open up this pack, there's going to be that super legendary rare. You know, yeah. you just don't know. So it's fun to see what's inside of it. So addicting. so addicting. Yes. I've opened up way more packs than I ever intended sometime where I'm like, oh, you know, when I'll open up like half of this box and save the rest for later or something like that. And then all of a sudden the whole box is open. It's like, oh, well. <laughs> uh, so we don't know if this will be present in Lorcana or not, but we assume at this point that we will see some type of curve. So when you hear a player talking about a curve, they are talking about resource growth. So we don't know what the resource is, but in most TCGs, your resource pool grows a certain amount per turn. You know, like Marvel Snap is one per turn. You get one more resource. So you start with one, then you get one more the next turn. So you have two total. And then one more the next turn, you have three total. In Magic, it's how many lands you put out to generate mo uh, mana, right? Right. And you can only put out one land per turn. So it has that, so, that curve as well. So you could have the same curve, but also if you don't draw the land on that particular turn, then you don't get to put a land out and you don't get that back. You can't put two out the next turn. If you missed putting one out the previous turn, you get one per turn. So, I really hope Lorcana doesn't have that system. Yeah, I don't think it will, but we shall see. Um, so when a player is playing on the curve, they're trying to optimize their deck so they have something to play with one and two and three. So basically you have multiple of each cost card in your deck so that you will hopefully have drawn those cards as you reach that point in the game. Um, so if you stack your deck with a bunch of fives and sixes on the cost and only a few ones or twos, 
Well, you may not draw any ones or twos until you get to turn five or six. Um, it's going to be difficult to catch up if you can't play on the curve. So if you build a bunch of ones or twos, sure, you can play them on turn one or two, but then you're going to have a really hard time keeping up with your opponent if the game lasts longer, because then they'll be able to get to their high cost and usually higher cost or higher power or more, they have more abilities. So it's nice to have that curve for a balanced deck to go up as the resource amount you have goes up. Yeah, exactly. And going back to Marvel snap, that's the perfect game to illustrate a lot of these concepts because you have six turns, it increases by one resource each turn and you wouldn't want to stack your deck with just a bunch of four, five, six costed cards because otherwise you'd lose the game before you could even play. This is another term that's pretty self-explanatory, but a lot of people will say when they're playing that they have lethal and that just means that they have the resources in play or in their hands to beat you that specific turn. A lot of times I would sit there in tournaments and I'd be sitting across from a player who'd sit there and they're like tapping their heads or they're tapping the table. They're looking at their cards. They're looking at the cards on their table and they're just like doing these calculations to see if they could actually beat me that turn. Um, They're trying to calculate if they have reached a point of lethality, if they play the right combination of cards. Yeah. I mean, that's again, just like keeping in mind, you know, the brain power needed to, Am I, you know, once you draw it, like, okay, then I have all of these things in my board state that I can now do and then enact all of those. And it's like, yep, gotcha. Uh, so next up, we have a magic specific reference, but of course, depending on the resource system, which we hope they don't use, uh, we might see. Uh, and that is something that we were talking about where you can get uh, either, you know, like not enough mana, but there's also actually having too much mana. And that's called mana flood. And basically, it means you're even though you can only play one per turn, you're drawing a bunch of them in your hand. So you have mostly mana cards in your hand, and you can only play one per turn. So you don't have other cards to be able to play while you are building up that mana, only being able to put out one a turn. So the opposite, of course, is not having enough. Uh, and if you are not having enough, that means you're mana screwed. And so you basically have cards in your hand, and you can't do anything with them because you don't have any mana to pay for them. Uh, so... We, of course, don't know the resource system, and uh, we will just, you know, cross our fingers and hope that it is not the uh, what most people consider now to be a very outdated method of mana slash resource in magic with putting out the lands one per turn. Yeah. Basically from your deck. Of course, if it's a side deck where you get to play it once per turn, you're guaranteed to have it, and it's not part of your main deck or something like that. But again, we have to wait and see what system they're going to use. I'm just so curious, <laughs> like the re- resource system, the swirls and the lore icons. Those have got to be the three biggest questions right now. Okay, so uh, we talked about this with Sugi quite a bit last week. And if you weren't familiar with this term, there's a term that's called the meta or the meta game. And basically what that means is that in each locale or everywhere that you play, whether it's at your local game store or if it's at regional competitions or national competitions, there will be a meta or the decks that are popular. And it's important to know what those decks are so that when you build your deck, you know how to counter them or you know how to build around them or, or you could build one yourself, but each each scenario, like at my local game store, when I would play, it was very different than when I went to a national uh, or a regional competition. So knowing the meta game uh, just gives you a, a competitive edge when you're when you're playing. Yeah, and and I and if you've ever used any uh, like on the mobile games, like I play Star Wars: Galaxy of Heroes, which is you know a turn-based uh, collecting game. There's a meta in that too. It's like whichever characters that you can put together into a squad will beat most every other uh, squad that can be built in the game. It's a meta. And so that's where I first heard it. And it just transfers over into any kind of competitive gaming thing like this, I think. 
So you will also hear players talk about LGS and FLGS, and these just stands for local game store and friendly local game store. So local game stores are just that. They're, they sell the product um, for games like Magic or Yu-Gi-Oh! or whatever, Larkana, um, and they may not have some organized play events, um, but an FLGS uh, carries the game and supports it with weekly events. It's important to support the stores that are going to support weekly events. Um, I've been calling around, and there are a couple stores, but one's not super committed on uh, carrying events, and the other one is. So you can pretty much be guaranteed which one I'm going to be shopping at when Lord Connor releases. And I, I was at one picking up my Marvel Legendary recently, and, uh, like a month or so ago, and I asked them if they were had heard about it and were going to carry it. And uh, it wasn't the owner at the shop, but he's like, "We carry one trading card game, Magic," and that was the like that was basically the end of the story. It's like it doesn't matter what else is out there; we're only carrying Magic. And I'm like, "Okay." That was my experience too. The store that I went to, they're like, "Hey, this is a Magic Town. We have a few Pokemon and a few Yu-Gi-Oh players, but..." By and large, people just play magic here. Like it was almost discouraging to me. So I'm glad that I was able to find a local game store who's excited to carry the product. And I've already told them that I will run learn to play events. And if they need me to, I will organize weekly uh, tournaments, which actually leads into the next topic, which is organized play. Um, You heard me talking about doing weekly events. That's a term that's called organized play, or you might hear OP. And OP has a lot of definitions, but in the TCG world, it means organized play. Uh, but this could be your weekly tournament at your game store, and it can go all the way through regional, national, and world competitions. Uh, we don't know what the organized play will look like in Lorcana. We just know that there will be organized play. I mean, and I'm really curious. I mean... I'm really thinking that multiplayer will be supported in Lorcana. So I'll be really curious to see if the weekly OP is one versus one or if it's multiplayer. Uh, I'm. I mean, yes, multiplayer is going to be a thing. I mean, it has to be based on, you know, there's been a few clues here and there, uh, but I'm like 99.9% sure multiplayer will be baked into the rules from the beginning like it will be a thing in the rule book not just like a thing people can do or figure out how to do i think it's going to be baked in right. uh, and what and I, i'm saying with you though is whether or not organized play is going to involve it because organized play is i mean much easier if it's one versus one right because then like it's it, it's hard enough to practice with multiplayer but i mean when you're at a tournament, that means you have to have groups of four. Right. I mean, assuming it's 2v2 or one versus, I don't know. It, it's just, it's a whole lot more difficult. Yeah. Is there going to be teams? Is it going to be just anything over two is considered multiplayer? You could have a 6v6 or, or you know. <laughs> could you imagine? We'll have yeah. the citizens of Lorcana team. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, so yeah, that's basically up in the air we we do know that they are for sure going to do organized play we have no idea what it's going to look like yet so um another thing which is what i i i kind of i think i went by it a little quickly earlier uh but when you hear a player playing mill strategy uh that means their deck is designed to make you lose cards off the top of your deck until you don't have any cards left in some uh tcgs when you run out of cards you lose the game uh, others let you reshuffle, but we don't know yet whether this will be a viable strategy in Lorcana. To me, I mean, the mill strategy is, uh, I think, maybe even more hated than control, you know, just because it just feels like you're not even getting, because I think it's like you're not even getting to play your cards. I mean, in control, right. you can play some of your cards, but then they just get taken away. But in this, in mill, they just get <laughs> taken before you even get them. And you, I think even if you are allowed to reshuffle your discard, I mean, it, it feels like just constantly having your cards taken away just makes it impossible for you to do anything, even if you can reshuffle. 
Yeah, it's not a feel-good experience when you put these cards in your deck specifically because you want to play them. And you have to get rid of five cards. And there goes your Mickey and your Maleficent and all these cards you were hoping to play. Like, it's just not a fun. And my hero, uh, Mill, was never really a thing because you were like, you were able to go through your deck and then you had to reshuffle your discard, take 10 cards off the top. And then if you went through the pile the second time, then you lost. But nobody ever lost that way that I saw anyway. So that's the mill strategy. Another strategy is called ramp. And again, we don't know if this is going to be in Lorcana, but ramp is another term that you might hear. And what it means is that you are cheating the curve. So we talked about how every turn you get one resource, but what if you had a card that you played that granted you one extra resource? So instead of only having two resources, you had three resources on turn two. So then you can start playing bigger cards sooner and overwhelming the opponent quicker. Again, we don't know if this will be a viable strategy, but it could be, it could be there. Do you think that the shift keyword maybe is kind of leading towards a form of ramp strategy? Well, that's a good point. Because you can play cards for less, you're not getting more resources. You're just allowed to spend less to play it. So it's like ramp, but in reverse. No, that's a good point. And it is kind of the same strategy now that you say that. But we have only seen cards with shift on them that cost like six and and stuff like that. So we don't know. Aurora. It was four, right? Was she four or five? Something three. like that. Three? Three. So we don't know if there's Gee. a one cost Aurora. Well, no, she's three after after the shift, right? Yep. So she's cost five normally. So there has to be something out there that costs one or two, another Aurora card that you can get out on turn one or two and then play her on turn three instead of turn five. So that's that's the the only only way for it to make sense. Yeah, exactly. It's the only way it makes sense because they specifically say you can only play them on top of another card called Aurora. Sounds to me like it's basically a form of ramp. I th- I think <laughs> I think you're right. So uh, another keyword uh, RTC. Uh, it's another pretty straightforward abbreviation, and it means read the card. Uh, so far, Lorcana cards have also been pretty straightforward with their their text. Uh, but don't be surprised if an opponent plays a card and plays it incorrectly, and that's when you politely correct them and tell them to read the card. And this is so important because. Very small things like and, or, periods, semicolons. All of that is very important in a trading card game because they will then allow, they basically tell you like the order things get done, whether you can do both of them, whether you may, may is another important word, because then you can choose to take an action or not. So that reading the card is so important. Okay, so another term you might hear people talk about is scoop. And I've heard different podcasters use the term scoop already. And basically what it means is a player will concede the game. Like when we go back to that example of me seeing that character in My Hero, I just wanted to scoop my cards and leave the table because I knew I was going to lose anyway. Yeah, but sometimes you just got to play it out just to see how it goes, right? You never and, and that's what you should do <laughs> um, because you never know. But if you if it wasn't clear uh, last week, I was probably not the ideal TCG player. So I am working on that and I will be better for Lurkana. <laughs> I haven't played a TCG except for Marvel Snap in 20 years. So I am basically going to be learning as if I had never played essentially. Uh, so you yeah, you're going to do great though. We'll see. We'll see. I, I I might be one of those people that is has a very hard time with uh, one of his uh, 11 points last week of um, not giving away uh, things, be, being stone-faced. I may have a hard time with that. <laughs> Seriously, he was talking about when you draw a dead hand to not let them know it. And I would. I would be like, oh, shoot, I got nothing this hand. Yeah. I did that all the time. Yeah. Which, I mean, yeah, at your local game store when you're just playing for fun. I mean, it's 
it's not a really a huge deal, but that's also when you should be practicing if you're planning to play further than your local game store. That's that's your yeah. training grounds. So another thing you might hear uh, is saying tap, uh, like they're going to tap their character or tap a resource uh, to play a card or activate an ability. And in Lorcana, it looks like the similar action is called exert, which we can see on Elsa and uh, and on Magic Mirror. Um, so don't be surprised if you hear someone say, I'm tapping Elsa, because if they've if they're a longtime TCG player, tapping has been around for 30 years and exert has been around uh for six months. When a player top decks, that means they drew exactly the card that they needed to answer the problem in front of them. So if you've ever watched Yu-Gi-Oh!, I mean, he's the best at top decking because he'll be playing a card game. And it looks like he's going to lose. And then he draws the perfect card with the perfect answer. And otherwise, they would have lost. And occasionally it happens. Occasionally, people will top. Uh, just know when somebody says that they top decked, it is usually not in a positive connotation. Unless they were the one that did the top decking. Right. And that's that's when you got to be, again, stone-faced. When, when you top deck and you pull that card and you're like, Oh, I'm so excited, and I can't say or show a thing. So uh, another word, uh, when someone says they like cards that tutor, T-U-T-O-R, it means that they like cards that search out other cards within their deck. So if Elsa had an ability that let her search for Olaf, that would be an example of tutoring. Yep, and so far we haven't seen anything like that with the Lorconic cards yet. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised. It's, it's a pretty popular mechanic, so I would not be surprised to see it in the game at some point. The next phrase that we have is vanilla. A vanilla card is a card that has no extra abilities. It's just uh, straight up stats. So uh, we've seen this in Lorcana already with Olaf, who's a one cost and he has one attack and one defense. And Jumba Jukaba, who I think is uh, four cost, maybe five with a four five attack defense. Um, basically, they're just a body to put on the field. Right. And for something like and the board state. Yes, exactly. And and where those come in is maybe uh, you get some pretty good defense and or attack for a lower cost than a card that has some abilities on it. And then you can combine it with something like, let's say you play. Uh, let's say there's a scar that has no abilities on it, like a lower powered scar for some reason. And then you play Hades. Well, Hades gives all villains extra lore, right? Yep. So even though scar himself doesn't have any abilities, maybe someone else will grant him some abilities and you can get someone out onto the board cheaper or faster uh, and have some decent stats and also help you with uh, winning the game. Which yes is something that we are going to talk about next, which is what uh, decks have. Every deck has it. It's the win con. And these are the winning conditions you need to enable your deck to be victorious. So the win con is also used how to describe the game, in which Lorcana likely is going to have a win con of who gains the most lore or who gets to a certain number of lore the fastest. But the deck itself is its win con is helping you get to that point or enacting its process of like a control deck of the win condition is controlling your opponent. If you don't draw the right cards in the right order, your win con of controlling the deck, controlling the board doesn't happen because if you can control, you can win. Yeah. That's something that really uh, was driven home to me when I was talking to Sugi was recognizing the board state and what I needed to do to, to win like the cards I needed to win the game. So it could be like this crazy combo that I need to pull off in order to win. Like it's important to hold on to those cards and play them at the right time. Whereas before I would just play what I had in my hand. I was not a good card player. I'm, I've realized this now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's, you, that's the, that's where you start and then you learn as you go. The last one that I have is, ETB, which means a couple of things. If you're coming from the Pokemon world, it means Elite Trainer Box, which is a product you can buy. It kind of looks like the uh, the treasure trove, the Illumineers trove. 
But more commonly, if you hear somebody say ETB, it means uh, entering the battlefield. If you hear somebody say that, it, it's talking about the effect that takes place when a card is played. So Maleficent, for example, has an ETB of banishing a chosen character. Yeah. Is there anything else I'm I'm forgetting? Like I, I even heard you when we were talking in the beginning about talking about EDH and other phrases like that. I've seen it's a magic thing. They're talking about EDH, which is uh, I I don't have the Google up in front of me, but it's basically what they called Commander when it was fan made before it yeah. became Commander, a, a now supported mode of multiplayer in Magic. So EDH was like elder something, something, <laughs> which I suppose we could just Google it right now, but it's, it's magic thing, not a Lorcana thing. So I don't think it's really that important, but there are so many different little things. And one thing to do is knowing the terms is good because you, you know, you, it's obviously a shorthand to understanding what someone is saying, but also when you are new, like we are basically, uh, all of these things are things we've had to learn. Like for me over the last six months, I've had to learn all this lingo. And, you know, now I know a lot of this lingo. I, mean, I still have to look things up every once in a while when I hear something new or haven't heard it in a while and I've forgotten what it stands for, you know, and sometimes I'll see it because I haven't been, you know, steeped in it. I'll see OP and I'll think it's organized play because that's all I, I know of, but they're actually talking about One Piece, the new game that's out. <laughs> So, I mean, it's like all of these things, there's there's like, there's a lot of stuff. But if you get the basics down, you know, you kind of get the context of things. And if you have any questions, just ask, because from your experience at the game stores, people are going to be very helpful uh, for the most part. I mean, especially if you go into the store and you can recognize that's what's happening there, you can kind of see what's going on. And then you know that that's going to be a comfortable place for you to find things out and to learn things about the game. Well, and for people like you and I, I mean, we're both still pretty new, but what we have to remember when Lorcana comes out, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of new people coming into play. And I am reminded of this every so often in the Discord. People will complain about the news or the reveals that Lorcana is giving out there. And usually somebody from the Robinsberger group will come in and say, Guys, I know this is common knowledge for you, but it's not common knowledge for everybody. And if you think about it, what, there's like 2,000 people in the Lorcana HQ Discord, but there's 16,000 followers on Twitter. So it's important to remember that even though we're living in this bubble, most of the people aren't. So it's important to just keep these things in mind that when Lorcana comes out, we're going to have to be patient with the new players if they if we want them to keep coming back. Yes. Make it a community. You know, don't don't get the thing that, you know, for me growing up was a lot of things where people, you know, were like, oh, you know, those 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 D&D players weren't very welcoming when I tried to, you know, go and ask them about some D&D stuff. It's like they were that little insular group of people who only had their friends and that's the only people they played with and they didn't want to talk to anyone else, let's say. But don't don't do that uh, if you're involved in any kind of like new people coming in be welcoming uh, explain things to them take the time to talk to them answer any questions uh, if you have to point them to any i mean not you don't have to point them to us but point them to places online where they could find things out and get tutorials or find out about things about a trading card game so that they can become more comfortable and not feel like it's not a welcoming environment that they're coming into preach it brother <laughs> All right. Should we move on to the news? Yes. And we do have news as in new cards or new card healing glow, uh, which uh, was tweeted out. uh, When was it last week? Right. Uh, It was Uh, was this week. Was it this week, man? I'm losing all track of time. I don't know. You might be right, actually. I think it was last week. It was it was Kindness Day, uh, the the random act of kindness day. And they said, what every day, while every day is a good day to be kind, today is random acts of kindness day. How would you celebrate? And they showed the healing glow card, which is an an action card. Uh, It is amber and its ability is remove up to two damage from chosen character. And the flavor text is don't freak out uh, by Rapunzel. 
Um, and it features uh, Rapunzel's hair wrapped around where I think it's the scene where it was uh, Flynn's hand where she's healing him. And so this basically confirmed what we had already assumed when we saw that there were damage tokens in the gift box that damage is persistent and therefore can be added and removed from a character until you have enough damage to actually defeat them or banish them. The other thing is that it cost one, but again, it has the flourish around it. So Dragonfire just had the hexagon, the other action that we have, but this one has the flourish around it. So what does it mean? <laughs> but no, I'm excited for this card. I mean, healing in a game is never as strong as like dealing two damage to an opponent, but maybe there is a world that this is a really good card. We'll just have to wait and see. I mean, if if it's the kind of thing with only costing one where you may be on a turn, you don't hit that curve and you've got an extra resource laying around, you might as well heal someone, right? Yeah, that's true. Uh, so <laughs> other news, we have convention news, correct? So uh, some people will be saying, bonjour, Lorcana. <laughs> that's right. They are at a festival and france and i'm not even going to pretend to pronounce it because my french is terrible um but it's like j f i j cans is that like the movie festival cans i think so i think i think it's in that city yeah but there was a user on uh twitter (laughs) nivray that's what i'm going with and they actually tweeted out some photos of the booth. And it, it's an outside booth. I mean, the booth is outside, but it, it's an enclosed space. And on the outside, you can see the booth is totally original. It's done in French. On the front, there's a couple of doors. And you see on the sides, you have Elsa and you have Maleficent, the human version. And then on the other side, you have Sorcerer Mickey. So the convention... I think we were deciding that maybe tomorrow is media day and then uh, the actual convention will take place in a couple days. So I'm curious to see what happens. Yeah, they uh, and they answered someone on Twitter that they were going to be there, but no one would be able to see any play or anything like that. But they will have they will be featured at the convention. So basically that to me means just another display kind of booth where they maybe hand out some pins, maybe they hand out, they just talk about it. They have displays, but that's about it. They're not going to be selling anything or anything like that. I think we're going to get something because they ran that poll on Twitter about asking people, if we were to reveal another card, what would you like to see hero, ally, or villain? And I just have a feeling that we're going to get a card reveal either in conjunction with this convention in France or uh, separately, but we're going to be getting a card here as soon as tomorrow. And today's the 22nd of February. Right. So if we don't get it tomorrow, we'll have it by the convention because they may be showing something off at the convention like they did for Aurora, where Aurora was on the display of the backdrop of the the convention, uh, the trade show. Uh, booth and then like later that day comicbook.com had the reveal of the co- the full reveal of the card so we shall see <laughs> and then- the other one that, that we have on here is the miami tcg con and uh mushu shared a thing from the disney lurk on twitter saying that they were not going to have a presence there but i know the guy behind the miami tcg con and he's trying to have a real big push to have a big uh, Lorcana presence there. So it, it's something to keep your eye on. It's in October. It's in Miami. Be a great place to go. I mean, at the very least, uh, he might be able to set up and run a pretty good sized uh, tournament. Like one of the first yeah. big Lorcana tournaments. Yep, that's true. Something to keep your eye on, that's for sure. And I think that leads us to me getting a bunch of answers wrong (laughs) okay jeopardy time that's right (laughs) we are going to do the theme of animals today okay uh okay 
All right, so animals for 100. This is the name of Princess Jasmine's tiger. What is Raja? Correct. See, I got that one Good on job. <laughs> the wife is in the room, so there may be okay. some um, slight cheating. <laughs> well, somebody's got to help you. Okay. Yeah, know, right? For 200. These are the animals in the Jungle Book that Mowgli was raised by. Mowgli was raised by wolves. Correct. Ding, ding, ding. See, you're doing fine. Okay. For 300. What type of insect is Flick in a bug's life? Flick is an ant. Correct. That one was kind of easy. Yeah, you're going you to have to. Okay. Now in the next two. Where we're going to up the average of, of how many I get right. So <laughs> the Duchess and Aristocrats had this many kittens, and Duchess is the mother. Three? That is correct. Oh, yes. You are on fire. Okay. Yes, right. <laughs> Animals for 500. These are the names of Ursula's eels in The Little Mermaid. Oh. Flotsam and Jetsam? Boom. You got it. Five for how five. Did, how did I pull that out of my brain? I don't even know how I pulled that out That's of my awesome. brain. That's awesome. You did it. <laughs> wow. I don't think Is I've that seen the- that or heard that for years i just remember that one because of the song where she's trying to get ariel to sign the document she's like uh jetsam flotsam now we got her something like that the boss is on a roll wow i i don't even know that's that's crazy five for five this mark this folks this will be probably the only time this year that this happens all right so with that let's uh wrap things up If you liked what you heard, uh, you can subscribe to this podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Citizens of Lorcana. And uh, James, how can they find you? I am everywhere online at Dan Regal. And you can check out geekshotphoto.com for photography and social media links and everything for my wife and I. And I think that's everything. Uh, Awesome. Thank you all all for, uh, for listening.